Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times. I think we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is, well, it's May the 9th, 2022. And this is episode 3089 of the Survival Podcast. Title, Let's Just Blow Up Some Belief Systems Today, Part 1. Why? Because the live stream went almost three hours. There's some various reasons for that. Uh, one, you don't really get it. From my end, you don't really hear it, but there was a lot of distraction with uh, youngins uh, and things going on in the household today. It started really, started really late, and that led me to uh, probably put more on the plate than I should have, various things. But here's the cool part. So you'll get this episode in two pieces if you don't want to wait. The video will give it all to you in one day if you can take that much at once. You know, a Joe Rogan-length podcast with one guy in it. Uh, I don't know if that really works for most of this. I try not to go that long. Um, <clears throat> but if you're an audio-only guy, you'll get two episodes out of this, and that means that we may get a full bounty of podcasting this week because I am gone Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for John Bush's Exit and Build Summit down in Belton, Texas. By moving this to a two-parter episode, I will do a new episode tomorrow. It will go out on live, but it will go out as a podcast episode Wednesday. Wednesday interview will go out on Thursday. Maybe I get the expert counsel show done as a Friday show this week. If so, great. If not, you'll get a rewind on Friday. So you will definitely get at least four new episodes this week. Here we go with part one. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today. Uh, like I said, blowing up belief systems was the subject today. A lot of stuff we talked about before, but really taking a deep dive into it, that's what went so long. This, this segment will lead off with Bitcoin Lightning and how you can use it right now, things that it's being made able to do. And this is, this is mind-blowing stuff, guys. It really is. It changes the entire game about value-for-value value exchange, and it makes it something that can be implemented quickly and easily by anybody with the build, ability to build the technologies we're talking about in the first place. Implementing Lightning will be easier than implement, building the technology. It changes everything. We're going to talk about farmland today, and we're going to blow up the belief systems that you can farm your way to green from a standpoint of growing crops and fields. I know I've talked about it before, but I want to give you some stuff today that You've probably never heard from anybody ever before. We're going to talk about what pushed me all the way to anarchism. It's probably not what you think. It's an interesting story, I think, and it, it, it's being repeated right now by alternative media hyping something that's bad but not the hype they're giving it. Uh, and, and we'll talk about some other stuff today, too. I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to cut this in half, so I'll just there's my intro for you. With that, let's drop on into the live feed, and you can catch part two on the audio show tomorrow. And we are live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Monday morning in episode 3089 of the Survival Podcast. And did I say Monday morning? It's not morning, is it? It's 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, at least if you're listening to this live or tuning in live. And uh, that's because today is a late start day. Um, just have a ton of things coming up. Uh, quick announcement here at the beginning. I don't know what Thursday will bring. Yeah, it might be an expert counsel show. Uh, that's a show that's usually pretty easy for me to just knock out and get done. Um, but I am going to be at Exit and Build uh, in Belton, Texas, which is just to the south of the Austin area, uh, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of this coming week. And that means I have to leave uh, Thursday afternoon 
And I will be down there for John Bush's Exit and Build seminar uh, and one of his featured speakers and also doing a, a panel on uh, Sunday. So I'll be speaking on a Friday panel on Sunday, hanging out with any of you guys that are coming on down for Exit and Build uh, throughout the weekend. And that means definitely there will not be a survival podcast Friday, but there's going to be a rewind, I should say, so there won't be a new one. And then... Thursday, I don't know if it'll be a rewind or not. I have not yet figured that out. I'm in scramble mode and uh, just giving a little bit of stall here at the beginning to let people come onto the live stream if they want to. Uh, the other thing we do different today, I'm going to actually hit the sponsor spots at the beginning here uh, for a variety of reasons, but I also try to get the sponsors as much exposure as possible, and a lot of you guys tune into the live feed. And I've also noticed since I've started doing the videos I'm getting a lot more views on a video than if I just put out a video on like a, a plant or something like that. So I'm getting, uh, you know, a thousand, uh, video views or more in addition to the live folks. So, uh, some people seem to be switching over the video format. They prefer that. So I think it's fair to the sponsor. So who are our sponsors today? Well, they are one's going to fit really good with today's topic because we're going to be talking about Bitcoin and lightning a little bit today. And the topic of today's show is let's just blow up some belief systems. So this is kind of really, I'm tricking you, a little bit of an Outback with Jack episode, variety topics. But it's all going to be stuff that, like, flies in the face of what you probably believe, or at least some of it will, hence the title. Uh, but uh, sponsor day number one today is Start9 Embassy Servers. Guys, they have a lot of cool stuff on the way. As cool as the initial boxes, which I got my little one right back here just out of the side of the camera. Uh, I saw some of their new stuff uh, at FloatFest. They're going to blow the world up. You want to get involved with Start9 because it will let you take your digital sovereignty back. And it's the easiest way I know to run a Bitcoin node. Uh, or, I'm sorry, not a Bitcoin node, a Bitcoin Lightning node. We're going to be talking about Lightning today as well. And I'll, I'll tell you in that segment why, if you really want to be your own banker, then Lightning is something you want to be part of. And I'm also going to tell you how to use Lightning if you don't want to be your own bank, if, you, if, if that's just a slogan to you, um, and it'll make more sense when we have that segment, then how you can use Lightning with, like, no technical knowledge whatsoever. But if you want to run a node, if you want to take back complete control of, like, storing all your files, your communications with other people, make sure it's 100%, like, military-grade encrypted, even when you talk to your mom, because why not? Why not make those jerks work really hard to find out that your mom wanted you to pick up some bread for her when you came over to visit? Why not? Like, let's let's let their resources go to stupidity if that's what they want to do with them. And you can do all that and more with Start9. You can learn more at Start9.com. Uh, next up today, ButcherBox. I love ButcherBox. I love ButcherBox because every month a big-ass box of meat comes to my front gate right out there. It's always fantastic. I love the quality of the meat. Uh, I stick mostly to the beef on the plan because I believe beef is the most nutritious thing that we can easily put our hands on. I also love lamb. I love all ruminants, red meat ruminants, man. I think of the way to go for the best nutritional value in our bodies. Um, but I also pick up some of their pasture chicken and stuff like that. And I've been picking up some of their stuff with salmon lately. They've added um, these little salmon bites, which I thought were great until I got them. Uh, and many of you will love them anyway, but they, they have a lot of sugar because of the coating that's on them. But they also have like a smoked salmon lock, lox, L-O-X, and it is delicious, and it is no sugar. So those are some other things that you can check out. One of my favorite things, guys, to eat for breakfast, like I at first when I went keto, I was like, man, I'm going to miss lox, bagels, and cream cheese. That's some good stuff. 
But what I've been doing, and I don't miss the bagel part at all. I guess years now of being keto. I take the salmon lock. I put some cream cheese on it. Jalapeno is kind of my favorite, but any plain, whatever. Take a good sprinkle of everything bagel seasoning and roll it up like a little salmon roll. And I make five or six of those little salmon rolls, and they're delicious for breakfast. Lots of fat, lots of protein, lots of nutrition. Really easy to do. Takes a couple seconds. Five minutes, you're done. Another five minutes, it's eight. You're on with your day. Butcher Box has all kinds of cool stuff, not just poultry and beef and pork. Check it out today, butcherbox.com. Remember, if you are a MSB member, you get $10 off a box for life. That's $120 a year, and you can support me through the MSB then and get all your money back on one vendor. All right, so let us dig into this. Ooh, interesting question there from Alan. We'll come back to it, but I think we'll actually hit it pretty hard. Alan says, should we treat crypto like any other investment? We should treat crypto like an investment. I don't think we should treat any investment like any other investment. But we'll get to that when we come back to it. Let's start talking about what we got going on today. I want to start out with what is Bitcoin Lightning and how it's a game changer. And this is a blow your you know, blow up your, your opinion or, uh, blow up your belief system and that most people, even people that are pretty heavily, uh, into Bitcoin would agree with the statement. The problem with Bitcoin is the transactions are slow and expensive. Okay. So I'm going to blow that up for you as well. Um, Bitcoin transactions, the confirmation of send, they might as well just consider it as confirmed. They don't need to wait for three or whatever confirmations. It can be somewhat slow. And it can definitely be expensive. You're buying a $5 coffee with, with pure Bitcoin. That's where lightning steps in. And for all the people who are like, you know what, man? Shitcoin B is so good because it uses proof of stake, man. And because of that and its cooperative nature, it's so fast and efficient and blah, 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 blah. Well, then you can think of lightning if you really want to. And it's a pretty good way to think of it is you can think of lightning um, like proof of stake using Bitcoin. So what happens in a lightning node? And, and you don't have to know any of this to use it. I'm about to show you a quick video that shows you how you can use it in Exodus. Like, even if you don't know, if, if, if every word I'm about to use doesn't make any sense, you'll still be able to use it. But just so you understand, a node is a device on a network. It's a computer on a network. We have nodes for the Bitcoin network. We have miners running nodes with their mining. But we have people that just run nodes on the Bitcoin network. And what those nodes do is they allow for what's known as triple entry accounting, triple entry. So the entire world outside of Bitcoin is still using very archaic, thousands of years old technology called double entry accounting. You buy something from me or you sell something to me and I write down I paid or received X and I gave or received Y. And I keep my own books. And there's no third party authenticating that transaction. Right. And you keep your own books. If we're too now, regular people don't do this ledger entry stuff. Right. But businesses do. So when one business transacts with another business, they make those journal entries bought and received A and B bought or received and sent A and B. OK. Now, the problem is discrepancy. I say I did it. You say I didn't. I say I paid you. You say I didn't pay you. I say I shipped you a thing. You say I didn't ship you a thing. And what do we rely on today? Some third party. Um, UPS says that there was a ship, a shipping label printed and that they picked the package up and they delivered it at your front door. 
Okay, great. Was the thing that I said in it even in it? How do we know? We have to trust the system. Here's a check that says I completed payment and says you cashed it, but did you really cash it? There's a lot of discrepancy, right? What if you can eliminate discrepancy? Well, that's what Bitcoin does in of itself by having all these miners. And I don't even like the word miners. They should be called something like transaction verifiers. And then they're rewarded. You want to call it mining rewards? Go ahead, right? But Basically, that's the purpose of mining. The purpose of mining is not to make more Bitcoin. That's a byproduct. The purpose of mining is Jack Spirico sends Margaret here that's in our chat right here. I'm going to pick on Margaret. I send her, uh, I don't know, $25 worth of Bitcoin because Margaret is selling uh, something on Etsy, and she takes Bitcoin. And I say, hey, where's my shit, Margaret? I, 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 uh, I sent it. I sent the Bitcoin. And she says, no, you didn't. You did not, it, it didn't happen, I didn't get it, whatever. Well, with these nodes operating, okay, uh, and, and Scramble is saying Odyssey crashed. Yeah, I killed Odyssey. It, it started throwing up error codes, so I killed it off, and uh, we'll try again tomorrow. But when I start getting error codes from a destination on a, on a podcast source or a, a live stream source, I just I shut it down so it doesn't keep popping up and distracting. Anyway, um, the nodes all say, Here's the address that Margaret gave. Here's the Bitcoin that, that, that Jack sent. And it did happen. And here's the confirmations. And there it is. It's right there. Everybody can go look at it. That's why it have, having to make it 100% private is not necessarily necessary or advantageous in all situations. And then we can look at it and say, hey, it, Margaret, there's your address. That's the address you gave. Here's the communication. It's there. And it's way beyond that. It's the fact that there is this network of nodes verifying this. So that's what a node does in a Bitcoin network. Well, what does it do in a lightning network? What it does in a lightning network is it enables fast, quick, cheap transactions off chain. So when you put money into a lightning wallet, which we'll talk about how to do in a second, I'm just going to play a video. It'll show you how to do it. It's no longer available on the chain. Now you can see where it was and it's just kind of gone. This is why it has a lot of privacy features, especially with something called Taproot we won't get into today. And then it goes node to node to node through these devices that are serving as a network. And it comes, and then so Margaret sends me money on Lightning because I bought a $5 product. And that $5 comes to me. And this is not as secure or as guaranteed, I guess, would be the, not even guaranteed, it's not as traceable. So you want privacy, you give up traceability. But I send this $5 to Margaret. She'll get it in about two seconds. It'll cost me about a penny to send her that $5. She'll have that $5 in her Lightning wallet, and we can transact and do things. But we've kind of, sort of, in a way, left the realm of the triple entry accounting gold standard Bitcoin set. But we're every bit as good as the normal financial network. Now, what if, what if I want to buy from Margaret something that's like $10,000. I want to buy a boat with Bitcoin. I wouldn't use Lightning. It's not what it's for. Lightning is, I'm going to go out and tear it up with my boys this weekend. We're going to hit the bars. And even though I got a credit card and stuff, I need cash, you know, so I can settle bills and stuff at the bar, buy a beer. Maybe if I go, like we're going to bar hop, I'm going to go into a bar. I'm going to have one beer with my boys. We're going to go to the next bar. 
I don't want to open up a tab for that, right? I want to have some cash on me. Maybe it'll be a guy selling hot dogs in the street or something. We'll be hungry and hungover and drunk. I want to be able to buy that. He might not take. So I go to the bank and I say, weekend, turn up my boys. I want $200. Take $200 out cash, put it in your pocket. What's more secure, the cash or the cash in a box at home buried in a safe in the ground or money in the bank, right? Well, money in the bank and, and the cash in the box you can argue about, but we both would agree that they're more secure than the cash in the pocket. Lightning is the cash in the pocket. It's for small transactions. If you wanted to buy a boat for $10,000 and you were going to pay U.S. dollars, you probably wouldn't go out and pay in $100 bills. You would want proof of the transaction. So you'd write a check, so you would have verif- verifiability, and you'd have a semi-version of triple entry accounting because there'd be a check that ran through the bank system that went to the guy on the other side of the transaction. Bitcoin, that traceable transaction, think of lightning for cash transactions. And this solves this whole dilemma of how, how do I pay for my coffee and my scone in Bitcoin if I really want to spend sats to do that? And so this all sounds complicated, but real quick before I give you the video. That Back to that node, When if I run a Bitcoin node, then I have to put some Bitcoin on the front side and the back side of the node. That's my stake. And what that says, if, if I behave badly, now Margaret sending um, Bitcoin to scrambling, right? And I'm like, I think I'll steal that Bitcoin. Now, it's very difficult to do, but let's say I managed to do it. And the network looks at it and says, hey. Jack's a jackass. He stole the Bitcoin. They'll take my stake away. So much like people say, well, if you had enough horsepower, you could turn it on a network and you could, you could, you know, take over with a 51% attack. Even a shit network, like, oh, I don't know, Bitcoin Cash or something, uh, 1% of the Bitcoin mining network, 1% of the Bitcoin mining network could completely take over the Bitcoin Cash network. The reason it doesn't happen is if you have that much horsepower, the best thing you can do is participate in the, it's more profitable to participate in the network than it is to go and alter the network. It's part of the security, right? Bitcoin's just so big, it's, it's difficult, if, if not impossible to get enough horsepower together and attack the Bitcoin network. But if you did, if you did it, it would be far more profitable to be part of it, right? So that's what Litecoin, uh, I'm sorry, Lightning is, and it's not Litecoin. That's a different, totally different thing. Lightning is a protocol built on top of a Bitcoin protocol. So I have that stake on both sides. So if I screw either side of the transaction, I lose my stake. Meaning if I have a thousand bucks staked, 500 and 500, I will never have more than a thousand dollars worth of transactions routed through my node so that there's always enough to cover the transaction on the other side. Now, let's say you're like, you know what, Jack? I don't care. I don't give two shits about all that. I just want it to work, and I just want to use it. I'm about to give you a video that shows you if you have the Exodus wallet, then you can do that right now, and you don't have to understand a word I said. But I I like people to understand things. Mike, uh, I do want to say to Mike here, who's got laser eyes on his uh, profile, thank you for the 1999 Super Chat. I appreciate that. All right, so. Here we go. This is a video by the people that made the Exodus wallet showing you how you can, in fact, right now, use Lightning this second. And I'm going to come back and maybe, I don't know, if somebody's got good AV, you already have Exodus set up. You don't have to set up Exodus. I might bring somebody on and give them five bucks of Lightning 
just to show you how quickly it can be done in real life. Let's uh, see if I can make that happen. It's crypto videos. Hit those like and subscribe buttons and we'll keep the videos coming. Lightning has arrived in Exodus Mobile. The Lightning Network operates as a Layer 2 protocol on top of the Bitcoin Network. Decentralized and peer-to-peer, it makes sending and receiving Bitcoin, including micropayments, private and fast, with super low fees. When you first open Lightning, read and accept the terms and conditions, then it's off to the races. Lightning and Exodus is powered by Wallet of Satoshi, which is a custodial solution that allows you to use the Lightning Network without setting up your own node. Your Lightning Wallet is linked to your existing 12-word secret recovery phrase, so there's no additional backup needed or account setup required. Transfer Bitcoin from your Exodus Bitcoin Wallet to your Lightning Wallet in just a few taps. For now, you can deposit up to $100 US dollars. Tap deposit, then enter an amount by adjusting the slider, or type an amount manually, either in fiat currency or in Bitcoin. Finally, tap add. Your funds will arrive as soon as the transaction is confirmed on the blockchain. You can receive Bitcoin from another Lightning wallet by generating a Lightning invoice. Tap on receive and tap on the invoice to copy it or scan the QR code. You can also share the invoice by tapping the share button and using the app of your choice. If you'd like to send Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, tap on Send and enter the Lightning Invoice. You can scan an invoice's QR code by tapping on the QR code icon. Keep in mind that invoices expire after 24 hours. You can withdraw Bitcoin from your Lightning Wallet at any time by tapping Withdraw and selecting the Exodus portfolio where you'd like to send your Bitcoin. You can see the withdrawal fee by tapping on Advanced. You can see your entire transaction history by tapping on the History icon. If you're curious, tap on a specific transaction to see all the details. Because Lightning transactions are off-chain, they are private, meaning that the details are never broadcast on-chain. And not only are network fees incredibly low, transactions are, as maybe you've guessed by its name, Lightning Fast. It's something you have to experience for yourself. Thanks for watching, everyone. We have a lot... All right, so... It's that easy. And I'm waiting for Jake to join us here in the room. If he doesn't do it soon, we'll give Jake's five bucks to somebody else. Um, Sal's here heckling again. We're going to, he said, if it's so easy, then 51% attack, uh, Bitcoin cash. I, I didn't say I could do it. I didn't say it was easy. I said 1% of the Bitcoin network can, by mathematics alone, take over the Bitcoin cash network. But, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin people have, uh, better things to do. Jake's telling me he's here by text message. Jake, I need you to get in the room. If you can't get in the room, I'll bring somebody else on. I need you in the conference room. I need you to click the link I left for you. Can you do that? Let me know, Jake. Um, you have to have a camera and a microphone and be ready. There, there he is. Okay. He's here. All right. Let's bring Jake on. Look at Jake's lost some freaking weight, man. All right, Jake. Um, so, do you have your mobile device? Yes, I do. Okay. Have you ever used Lightning before? No, I have not. You have not. Do you have a node? No. So, have you you haven't set up a node on Lightning and you haven't funded both no. sides of it for no. Sal, so Sal can no. figure this out, right? No, nope. you haven't done it. Okay. Can you open Can you open Exodus for me? I'm opening it on my phone. Yeah, open Exodus on your phone. It's only on mobile for now on Exodus. Okay. It's open. Okay, and at the bottom, you'll see where you can pick your options, and there's like four little squares. Can you click that for me, Jake? Uh, hold on. Jake can't work Exodus. 
I picked the wrong person. Mm. It's kind of well, like it's just listing all my uh, listing all your stuff. Pull down on it, and at the bottom you should see like a little circle, some arrows, and then four little squares. See, I, I knew I shouldn't have took Jake. <laughs> Actually, it's good because it shows this isn't a setup. Okay. You should see four little. You should you see what I'm saying. It's okay. Now, 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 yeah, now, see it. Yep. Okay. Hit those four little squares. Okay. Okay. That, so it's telling me to buy crypto. Don't buy crypto. Close that, and it, you should see a thing. It says shares, uh, yep. EDXX, FTX, yep. Lightning. Yep. Click on Lightning. Okay. And even though you're a little slow, I think you'll be able to set it up. Just follow the prompts. Okay. Set it up. Accept terms and conditions. Receive and deposit. Yep. Okay, click on receive. Okay. And you should should bring up an invoice. Yeah, I've got a QR code. Yeah, you could you could set a price for me on that on that invoice, but since okay. I don't trust you and I don't want to have you like have to take another step, all you have to do is you can copy the invoice, just like it's an address instead of the QR code. So just long press and copy the long. Yep. 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 Click on it. Copy you it out. Now you want me to okay, text copy it? it? Now text that to me. Okay. Now this is his first time. This is once he's done this, we would we would be done already. Yeah, I wouldn't have to set it up. All right. right yes. Yeah. I would have to explain. So now I've got his. Lightning address. I'm going to copy it. I'm going to open Exodus. And I'm, I'm sure Sal's going to talk about all of the steps in here. And, and we're just doing this this way. I'm, I'm about to bring something to you guys even better in just a second. But I just want to show. So now I'm going to send Jake. So I'm going to show zero, zero BTC in my. Yeah, wallet. okay. So. so now I'm going to. Um, I've pasted it. And I'm going to change it to U.S. dollars because I don't want to send you five bitcoins. All right, enter. That would be nice. Okay, next. Okay, right now I'm going to hit slide to transfer in yeah. real time. Okay, right. sending transaction in progress. Sent. Look at your wallet. Maybe you refresh it. I just heard it. Yeah, you just got five bucks. There he is. It's done. How much is in there, Jake? Point zero 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 one five nine eight one BTC five bucks yeah. five bucks. So the transaction was effectively zero. But I'm, I'm glad you sent it to me when it's like thirty three thousand of Bitcoin. Yeah, you just bought the dip by participating. Exactly. So I'm going to throw I'm going to throw you out now. But thanks for that, Jay. All right. So, um, I I don't want to ban from studio. Hold on, let's kick him out. We're going to kick him out. Okay, he's gone. All right, guys. So that's how simple that is. That's how quick that was. And he can then move that five bucks off the Lightning Network to the main chain anytime he wants. There is a fee for that. I think on Exodus, it's a fixed fee, no matter the amount of a dollar and nineteen cents. Remember what I said, though. It's it's pocket money. It's spending money. So Jake should leave that in there. What if what if something goes wrong and he loses it? It's it's five dollars. It's like carrying cash. It's for your small, cheap, fast transactions. But we're not done yet. Oh no! I want you to see this. This is a website that I just learned about. It's called the Lightning Address. And what it does is it effectively turns an email address into a Lightning invoice on, on demand all the time that can be triggered from either side. One of the, the, the uh, 
the criticism of, of Lightning, and this was true when it came out five years ago, and it was brand new technology, was that both sides had to be online. It kind of had to be like what Jake and I did, but it was more complicated. We had to have our own nodes. Sal's all worried about some poor lady in sub-Saharan Africa funding a node or something as though she can't install, install this. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. I don't want to make this personal or nothing, but Mike just labeled freaking Sal. Sal, do you want me to send you Roger Ver's lightning address? That's interesting. Anyway, so you might think this is no big deal. That basically you can have you at, you know, coincorner.io or whatever. Uh, there's lots of different extensions to this, and they're predicated on the app that they're used on. But what this does is since email is for sending and receiving information, and that's all that it is, it uses basically email protocol to set up a method by which we can generate and receive to invoices on demand, meaning that we can put lightning in any app or on any website. Um, for instance, here's a couple websites or actually apps that are using it right now. You can see there's a whole list of them there. What is it? Three, six, about 16, uh, with more coming every day. And this is an open protocol that anybody can use. And so to eliminate, to eliminate the need for people to do what you just saw Jake and I do and to, to enable to where, and there's actually one of these apps is designed to integrate with WordPress to allow white lightning payments to like your e-commerce store, right? So all this bullshit that it can't do these things, this is all based on what the, what the thing was when it was first created versus all the technology being built with it. So I, for instance, just found out about the uh, email protocol. And one of these, it is uh, TipBot, which is kind of on the right side of your screen there, about halfway down. It's for Telegram. You open up a conversation with the bot on Telegram, and that's it. You are up and ready to go. It gives you your instructions. You can deposit Lightning, and then all you have to do is reply to somebody you want to tip on Telegram, and, and I think you put in slash tip. And the amount you want to tip them in Satoshi's, so basically think, be, learn how Bitcoin pricing works when you're going to use something like that. But instantly you can tip somebody. You want to tip somebody a dime. Like Jake finally said something that didn't piss you off. So you're like, you know what, I'll give him a dime. Jack gave him five bucks, I'll give Jake a dime. You can tip him a dime. Right. Every single thing that every altcoin claims that you can do with micro tipping, you can now not only do with lightning, but it's easier to integrate than it is with anything else. Because if you can integrate email into your app and then you can throw the back end through something like Wallet of Satoshi, which, by the way, Sal loves Wallet of Satoshi, from my understanding. Um, well, there you go. It's done. It, it, it would be if you know how to build an app from scratch. Integrating Lightning now into it is easier than building an app. The skill set would be one of the same. That doesn't mean I can write an app and I can do it. But if I'm an app writer, I can do it. Now think about that. Think about the ability to enable transactions at the speed that I just showed you with Jake on every app, on every website, everywhere in the world with no ability to stop it. Because one more thing before we move on from Lightning today. Lightning uses onion routing. I've talked about it before, so I'll go fast here. But... What that means is as the transaction goes through the lightning nodes, there's layers like an onion. And the information that actually is the right information, the correct information, is one layer. And the onion gets peeled. 
But every time it goes to the next node, a fake layer goes back on. So the nodes don't even know if they're the first or the last in the transaction. They don't know anything. They have no clue. Um, so look, this is earth shattering, game changing for crypto. It really is. And it's, it's, it's something I wanted you guys to know about. And I want to leave from Bitcoin, at least for a bit now. And I want to go to something completely different. But I do want to remind you right at this moment that when this live stream's over, you will be able to go to my website, the survivalpodcast.com. And there's a direct link to the, the permalink for this episode. It won't work during the live stream. But you'll be able to go there after it's over, and you will be able to get all the stuff that I've talked about, links to everything, including the video that I showed you, uh, the Lightning Address website, and the Lightning Tip Bot for Telegram, which you would have found at the other place anyway. But let's, let's bring the, the slides back up here for a minute and go to something totally different. Um, this came off of uh, Twitter, and I've been on Twitter a lot lately since uh, the Elon effect took over. And it's not because I believe Elon's going to save the world. It's because when I put something on Twitter now, people actually see it. My shadow ban has been lifted. But this map, if you're looking at it on the screen, all the green is all the farmland in the United States of America that is suitable, okay, suitable for high rotation, high intensity cropping. Corn, wheat, sorghum, canola, which is really rapeseed. Uh, all of the main cereal, grain, and tuber crops that feed the world, rice, etc. That's it. Now, the person that posted this was trying to make a point of how little farmland like this we actually have. And if you look at it, there's not much available on the East Coast. There's not much available on the West Coast except that strip of California that produces a lot of the produce outside of those grains, like your peppers, your tomatoes, and everything like that, like a ton of that comes from that little strip in there in California. And then up by the Columbia River Valley, you can see that there's some up there, too, in Washington, a little bit in Montana, right on the Canadian border, into the eastern Dakotas, et cetera, uh, Colorado, Kansas, uh, Kansas heavily covered with it. Uh, just I'm, I'm giving this detailed information for those that will hear the audio only. Um, now, coming down from the Great Lakes, you'll see that it goes on right alongside the Mississippi River all the way to the bottom of Louisiana to the Gulf of Mexico. Then you'll see a little green dot right down there near a place called Lake Okeechobee in South Florida. There's an interesting phenomenon going on here. First of all, and I'm going to explain it, but I'm going to tell you my conclusion from it first, which I already had before I saw it so graphically shown this way. Uh, we can't continue to farm our way to feeding the population from a standpoint of field farming. We can't. It is uh, unsustainable from a standpoint of keeping people alive, and we're, we're starting to come to terms with that right now. Now, uh, Brandon, with his ridiculous policies, has accelerated it, but it's a, it's a place we would get to anyway because we just won't be able to keep mining this area to produce these things by dumping chemicals on them. But look how much – and then the other side of this is I want you to think about the fact that we have more farmland than almost any country in the world. Not every, but almost every country in the world has less farmland than us. Uh, in total and even by percentage, again, not all because somebody will find some, but most. 
We have a lot of farmland. We are the breadbasket of the world. Always have been. And yet it's only that much. But look how much land. Look how much land there is that's not suitable. It's a lot more. Now, do you know what we can do? Like, look how little there is in Texas. Right? Texas is a huge state, but it's only that little bit over there in the Panhandle, Four Corners area, and up around the Red River on the border with Oklahoma streaming down there, and then a little bit down in the southern end, down by where, like, the Brazos empties into the Gulf of Mexico and, and things like that. But what is Texas known for? More than anything else is an agricultural product. Beef, cows, ruminants. We can run cattle in all the white area on the map, almost all of it. Not every bit of it, but let's say 75% of it easily, except like down your main street. But we can even run in urban areas and suburban areas and little strips and stuff. We can run other ruminants like hair sheep and we can get lamb and, and mutton. And it's incredibly high quality, high protein, high density, needing very little supplementation for anything else. We can, we can run that too. What's the other problem, though? Do you know how Jack always tells you, and maybe sounds a little bit crazy, that the number one export in the United States is topsoil? You know, I say that all the time, and you're like, that can't be. We can't export more topsoil than anything. We don't even get paid for it, for God's sakes. Look at where the green is. Right, let's go back up. Top left-hand corner, Columbia River Valley, Washington State, a little bit of Oregon. So it's right there on the river. Now, One, we do pump river water, do some agriculture, but that's not my bigger concern. It rains up there, so we get some rain. But where does all the topsoil, where does all the herbicide, where's all the pesticide where that green dot is up there in the Washington State area go? Well, it goes into the Columbia River Basin and dumps into the Pacific Ocean. Now, look at that green strip there in California. Uh, that green strip ends down right about where Los Angeles is. There's a thing called the L.A. River, and it's fed by all of that stuff up there. And there's various other points where you see bays like San Francisco Bay. And, other, and where does it all go? Into the Pacific Ocean. All the topsoil, all the herbicide, all the pesticide. And there are some problems over there. But the Pacific's really cold. It's really deep. If you've ever been to the Pacific versus the Atlantic, it's a deep blue. And there's only so much going in there. Now, look at that little place. It looks like a boot called Louisiana. Now, start following that green up all the way to the Great Lakes. When you get to where the Great Lakes are and you see the little hand that is Michigan, go to the left, the longer side of the V there. What, what goes up there? Does anybody know up into the Dakotas and all coming off that way? Isn't that something called the Missouri River? Right? Where do you think... How much of that line that goes up and then splits into a Y on the Great Lakes, how much of that is river basin? Almost all of it. So where's all the topsoil, herbicide, and pesticide from those farms go? It goes eventually into the Mississippi River, and that's why right down there by that little boot-looking thing that is the state of Louisiana, there is something like an 1,800-square-mile dead zone every year where we literally kill everything in the ocean. Huh? Let's, let's look at another spot. So you'll notice in the, right in the middle of the country there, Kansas especially, you see this massive swath of green and there ain't a lot of rivers going through there. But what are we doing there in four, four corners area, pieces of uh, Oklahoma and all? We do get some trickling into the Mississippi River Valley and we do get some into the Red River of Texas, which eventually gets, and it goes kind of goes the same place and down there in the boot of Louisiana and kills all those things. 
But there's a lot of that where it really isn't dependent on the river system, and it doesn't really directly go into the river system. It just blows away in the wind. Where's the water come from? I mean, does anybody think of Kansas as a really wet state? No. No, it's kind of dry, isn't it? That's where the Ogallalo Aquifer is, where we're, mi- we're literally mining fossil water. We're pumping water from ancient sea under the country, and the water is literally drying up. If you look out into uh, western Texas, where it's really dry as shit, they grow a lot of cotton out there, and they're completely dependent on circular irrigation pulling out of the Ogallalo Aquifer. And what's happening is that green area is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, as the basically think of the aquifer instead of this big round thing as a lake with all these arms in it. And when your lake starts to dry up, the arms drop first. So some of these West Texas towns, they happen to be on a, a massive underground arm of this giant freshwater sea that we've pumped and pumped and pumped to the point where they're drying up. Now, <laughs> it's interesting to listen to environmental people tell us how cattle are bad for ecosystems and ignore all that. And so, yeah, I, I, I almost left this out. I, I need to put that back in. Thanks for pointing that out, Brian or Brianne. Um, down there where that little green spot is in Florida, if you haven't heard of the red tides in South Florida, you, you, you should have. The environmental catastrophe being created there about every couple of years is unbelievable. And the one that hit about two and a half, three years ago was, I, I mean, God, if you would have seen it for yourself like I did, You might have thought, if you couldn't travel other places and see other places and you only saw it there, that one of the the, the, the seals in the book of Revelation had been broken. I'm talking Goliath Grouper, the size of a small car, washing up on shore dead. Tarpon, the length of my desk here, washing up on shore dead by the hundreds and thousands Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dead fish. Sal says last year was bad too. It actually wasn't compared to the year I'm talking about. Not that it, I'm, I'm not putting, uh, I'm not putting down what Sal's saying at all. I'm just saying to put it in perspective, that what happened this year was minor by comparison. None of this has to happen. We could fix the entire Mississippi River system for about $50 billion. It's a rounding error in the federal budget. We could do it, and it wouldn't prevent, even if we stayed with conventional farming, we could we could stop it for that, and we won't do it. If we switched over to a, a system that was based on production of ruminants and things like pastured poultry, we could feed the entire country. We'd have the largest export market for meat, which is a high-dollar export market that the world has ever known, and we could put an end to all of this. And I've just shown you one part of why. Just one part of why. But what you, what you always have to remember is that first, savanna ecosystems, which are trees with plains in between them, are the most productive ecosystems on planet Earth. And they produce more topsoil and anything close to land than anything other than shallow marine. So down there where Sal lives, uh, in Florida, if you look at the amount of topsoil produced in the mangroves, et cetera, that exceeds. There's immense soil building in those systems. That's where a lot of those islands came from. They literally built themselves uh, over time in those shallow marine systems. But when it comes to terrestrial systems, nothing beats the savanna. Number two, if you want to clean the air, 
plant a tree. Number number three, if you want to clean the groundwater, plant trees. Trees are the, the lungs and the liver of earth is how you have to think about it. So if we build systems that are tree-lined savannah systems and move ruminants through them, we build topsoil, we stop erosion, we produce food, and we have almost no inputs. The only real inputs that they need are water. Right. We have to make sure they have water. Well, a lot of these places, that's not even an issue. The water's there. But this whole idea, one of the things that the people that are, you know, anti meat have come up with is that, uh, like, well, a cow uses X amount of water and they ignore the thing called the water cycle. Like, what happens to you if you go out and you drink a couple quarts of water? What do you have to do pretty quick? You have to pee. If you're a cow, where do you pee on the ground? Where's the pee go into the ground? Right. What happens like when you drink a glass of water, there's a really good possibility that at least a few molecules of that water were Tyrannosaurus Rex piss at one time in ancient history. Water completely and totally recycles. And if we stop the erosion in the runoff, we're going to we're going to also have massive numbers of small creeks restored, uh, small watersheds restored, small ponds restored. And we can put this in and we can create and then we create the trees And then what do the trees do? Again, we talked about what they do, but here's another thing that they do. They actually think of it as respiration. It's called transpiration. So trees take water up out of the ground, and they take more than they absolutely need to survive. And then like you sweat, they transpire. And the more trees you have, the more rain you get. And we can actually look at the molecules of water, the individual H2O molecules of water. I'm hoping this is blowing some minds, all right, because if it isn't, You're missing how much you've been lied to and how much you should have been taught that you weren't. We can look at the density of a water molecule. All water molecules are the same, but they're not all exactly the same. Bill Mollison hypothesized this in the 80s. He was called an idiot for it. And by the late 90s, early 2000s, scientists came out and said, hey, we discovered all by ourselves, and we deserve a Nobel Prize for this. You can actually look at water in rain, and you can say by the density of the molecule – This water was created by ocean effect or by forest effect, proving the old man right. But nobody gave him any credit. And he's on video saying it back in the 1980s in Florida. Okay? Got it? Like, this is not something we don't know. This is something we deny. So if we plant more trees, stop the erosion, stop the use of the fertilizers, the pesticides, etc., The dead zone's in the ocean. We get more rain. We get more water retention. We get less erosion. We stop having to orbit, uh, irrigate entire fields. I, I think we might actually have a little bit better of a planet. But, see, that doesn't help the people that want to tax you for the air you exhale in any way, shape, or form. By the way, without looking it up, I challenge any of you that believe in the global warming theory to give me the four feedbacks. And if you don't know what they are, like not not can't list them, but you don't even know what I'm talking about, and you say, well, I listen to the experts I know. No, you don't, because you would know the four feedbacks. They're not Jack Spierko's four feedbacks. They're, they're the freaking IPCC's four feedbacks that are the entire thing behind the theory. And it's amazed me that no one has ever told me I'm stupid because I don't believe in global warming or climate change or whatever the hell they call it now uh, as being caused by CO2 can give me the four feedbacks. Like, they don't know the four, just by name. You don't have to explain them. Just give me the names. What are the four feedbacks? Most of you don't know. You don't have to know. But if you're going to say, I listen to the experts, and you don't have an answer to that question, I, I question the experts that you're listening to. Uh, let us move on. I want to talk about something 
kind of crazy right now. What really pushed me all the way over into anarchism? Like all the way over the line. Many of you followed me back in 08, 09, 2010, 2011, 2012-ish. And you remember Jack is this really reasonable, really reasonable, small government, small L, libertarian. Jack Spierko, who ran for office in the state of Texas. Jack Spierko, who dutifully called his senators and his congressmen and his local officials and was politically active. Jack Spierko, that Jack Spierko. And I lost a lot of people. Like people told, said when, when I kind of made the full switch in 2014 from libertarian, like libertarian to libertarian anarchist, he just did that because it increases his listener base. Bullshit. Bullshit. You know what it did? It cost me at the time, I'm bigger now than I was then, but at the time, it cost me half my audience to do that. And I knew it would before I did. Let me say that again. I was making a full-time living doing this. This is my business. This is a child I gave birth to. And by saying it, I knew it would cost me half of my listeners, and it did. It absolutely did, because I had a lot of true believers in the system. And true believers in the system, some of y'all made it through that with me. Some of you still believe. And you made it through anyway. But a lot of people didn't. It hurt me. It hurt me bad. So what made me do it? Food Modernization Act of 2010. That was the thing that started the chain of events. And now it's happening again in Australia. So the Food Modernization Act in 2010 was a bill that was a terrible bill. It became law, terrible law. And what it did is it put tracking and tracing into our food supply. And the reasoning was if some little girl gets sick, gets E. coli in, in Wisconsin, and it's because she ate lettuce, be great if we knew where that lettuce came from. Could go right to the source and stop it so that it, we, we, nobody else would get it. But also we could find all the lettuce in the supply chain that could be tainted and remove it. That's how they sold it. And to be fair, on some levels, that's what it was. That's what it was. It did do that. It also did it with an incredibly unfair burden, especially as initially written to small-scale producers. Meaning, I had to comply with this. Like, if this would have happened when I was commercial duck farming with the eggs, and there was no thing called a tester amendment added to it, um, I would have had to RFID track my duck eggs to my customer. I would have done it. I am an anarchist after all. I would have been like, yeah, if you have time to come screw with me, fine. But a little bit larger operations, people doing a couple, you know, quarter million dollars a year in business, selling into main distribution systems, it would have destroyed them. It would have destroyed them. So it was a bad bill for that and some other reasons. But most of the powers in that bill already existed. What it did is consolidated powers that were in like three agencies into a single agency. But that's in essence what it was. But do you guys who are around, do you remember? Do you remember how Alex Jones marketed it? Right? Do you remember how all of the fringe marketed it? It's going to make having a backyard garden illegal. It makes saving seeds illegal. It, it on and on and on. You won't be able to barter your food with your neighbor. And like, it had nothing to do with backyard gardens or growing your own food, but it could have hurt small producers. So I pointed this out, and I was called everything from a status cuck to everything else in between you can come up with on it. 
and I didn't know, and I'm stupid, and I should listen to Alex Jones, right? Okay, fine. So I, like, read the bill and said, has anybody read this bill that's talking shit about it? Well, no. But then when I would explain it, they would say, but, you know, you know, they could use it to later on do something else. Well, if they're going to later on do something else, they're going to do it with or without this, and they would get really mad and yell and scream. So I wrote an article, and I have a link in the notes for this, where you can read the original article I wrote explaining everything about it. But the interesting thing is the pushback in the comments. Well, as soon as I finished the article, and in the article I said, we need an amendment that exempts small farms from this because there's no reason for it, and it it should not be able to be used to regulate in-state commerce. So it should not apply to a thing grown in Montana, sold in Montana. It should not apply to a thing grown in Texas, uh, sold in Texas. Those that don't want to take my anarchist card right now was not an anarchist at the time. I was a small government libertarian. And I would still make that case today if you want to play in their system. Well, this is how their system works. The federal government is not supposed to regulate commerce inside a state. So it shouldn't have applied to that, and there should be this exemption. Well, like an hour and a half after I wrote that article and published it, Senator John Tester from Montana, a Democrat, introduced what was known as the Tester Amendment, and it specifically exempted any farm under $500,000 in sales per year. And I said, thank you, Senator Tester, even though you're a piece of crap, you know, on other things. I'm sure we disagree on a lot of stuff, but this, and this is, this is where it really pushed me. The case I made was, it's 2010. The Democrats control the Senate decisively, and they control that Congress, or or the House decisively, and they control the White House. This is going to pass. You can scream, you can yell, you can object, you can gnash your teeth, you can beat your own face against the wall, you can put a cheese grater up your ass, you can do anything you want, and you know what? It's still going to pass. But I had people in my audience telling me I was surrendering for telling you the truth. I had people upset with me for telling them the truth. We need to resist. But nobody who I said, what does that mean, had an answer that made any sense. A few people, when we went back and forth with it, in the end said, well, yeah, you're right, but I don't like it. I I, I can't just say it, even though I know I actually agree with this. Well, it's going on in Australia right now. There's a bill in Australia that's probably going to pass. It will make the food supply problems worse. It does cause a lot more problems. I do think there is a new world order, if you want to call it that, that wants to squeeze the food supply. But how is it being marketed? Not by Australians, by the way, by Americans that want to be sensationalists to make a point. They're making it illegal to grow your own food in Australia. So, being me, I downloaded and read the bill. It doesn't say jack shit about growing your own food. It actually doesn't really regulate growing food at all directly. It is 100% focused on noxious weeds and pest animals, specifically invasive species, and preventing them from being spread through being a dumbass and, like, digging up soil and moving it over here when you know it has a pathogen in it and finding people onerous, awful fines for doing so. Do I oppose it since I oppose all government? Yes. Does it matter that I oppose it? No. Even if I was a voter and politically active and shit, I'm not an Australian. Australians don't seem very upset about this, so why should I be? But it's bullshit. But you got you tell people that? You're a dumbass. You're stupid. You don't know. Well, did you read the bill? No, I did, and here's what it says. You're a globalist. You're a status cuck. You're a fed. You're a plant. Whatever. This made me an anarchist. The right, to be clear, 
made me a full-on anarchist because of your stupidity. Because of your stupidity. Your unwillingness to accept reality for what it is and understand the rules of the system that you espouse. The right made me an anarchist, not the left. Now, I agree with the right in many ideologies more so than the left. I also agree with the left in many... uh, Hold on. I agree with the left from 20 years ago a great deal more than on a lot of things that I do with the right, like being anti-war, right? Like, yeah, remember the anti-war left? Like, I totally identify with... Well, as a kid, when I say kid, I mean like a 20-year-old soldier in the military who would just vote Republican straight ticket. I still agreed... With the left on being anti-war, I just didn't think they would do it. And there were so many other things I agreed with the right with back then that it, was, it outweighed it. I wasn't a single-issue voter. But it was this unwillingness to accept reality, this idea that if I just care enough that it impacts the reality. I quit voting because I realized it didn't matter. It wouldn't change things. And nobody yet with math had explained to me where it would. For that, I was called a surrender monkey and a bunch of other words that are really, really bad. But that's why I became an anarchist, because it's impossible to have these discussions with logic and reason. And when I I thought about why, I realized that the, the mental patients are running the asylum. And that the only thing that I could do to really make a difference was get out of the asylum. So that's that's how the right... That's how alternative media, that's how our side turned me into a full 100% anarchist. I, I will come back to questions at the end, but somebody asked, what's the difference between a libertarian and an anarchist? The best phrase I've ever heard, even though it doesn't directly explain the answer, but to make it understandable, all anarchists are libertarians, but not all libertarians are anarchists. So if you take libertarian principle, in its purest form, which is basically the non-aggression principle. Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff against their will. Then that's a pure libertarian. And then you have, by proxy, an anarchist. Now, anarchists then want to name themselves, I'm an anarcho-syndicate. Well, I don't think you know what anarchism is, but whatever. You know, or I'm an ANCAP or I'm an ANCON or whatever, right? ANCOM or, or a primitivist anarchist or whatever. In the end... Either you agree we should not hurt people or take their rightful property, or you don't. And if you do, and you do all the time, not to pay for the things you really want, then you're an anarchist and a libertarian. If you're like, well, I am, I, that's what I believe, but who gonna build my roads? Or we at least need a police department to protect property. We need the smallest state possible. Then it's very possible that you're a libertarian but not an anarchist. And you, when people say, well, they're not a real libertarian because they're not like me. That's like saying you're not a real Bitcoiner because you're not like me. It's nonsensical. We live in this world where we think in a, in a world of shades of gray and binary code, on and off, black and white. Libertarianism is really more like a rheostat, like um, a way that you turn up a light where it's really, really dim and you keep turning up brighter, 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 brighter. The maximum setting on that light is anarchist. Just a little tiny turn back. Well, we at least need roads, bridges, schools, and a police department uh, to protect private property and a national defense system to keep bad guys from invading our country. 
That would be a minarchist libertarian. And I spent most of my life as a minarchist libertarian, which is why I can tell you now that it's a horrible philosophy. It's an awful philosophy. That philosophy is, you know, I know he has cancer. I know we just put him through surgery. We just cut him open. He's gone through hell. But this little piece of cancer here, we should leave that behind. But I'm also a pragmatist, and I'll tell you, I prefer that person a million times over, right or left, full-on statism. A million times. It's a million times better. It's still awful, but I won't insult you for it. Okay? I won't insult you for it. I won't call you a statist cuck. I won't do anything like that. But I will say you're a statist. Because a statist is someone who believes inherently in the validity and the need for a state. Right? So I don't believe in the need for a state, but I also do not believe that the state's authority is legitimate. I will point out inside, like, I will point out, like, a referee that doesn't care about the game but read the book. Who's right on a call? And then people will take that to mean that's my endorsement of said saying. So on a call, I'm going to be like, the book says, the Constitution says, right? Legal precedent says, the law says, you say you're playing this game under those rules. So in that instance, they got the call right or they got the call wrong. Yeah? And and I will look at it from a standpoint of, here, Supreme Court ruling. Roe versus Wade, abortions are blah, 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 blah. Baby killers on this side and, you know, like coat hanger screamers on that side and, and the whole thing. It's not what the decision's about. Maybe it should be, but it's not. The decision is... Constitutionally, does the federal government have the power to tell the states they can't regulate this thing? And assuming the leak doesn't do what it was supposed to do and doesn't intimidate the justices, they got the call right. Then you can debate the morality of the issue separately. The question was, inside the book of rules, who has this power or who doesn't? Since it's not restricted from the states, they have the power. That's the way our system works. Does that mean raw, raw, USA, USA, bring the eagles out to fly around? No. It's just, that's how they, like, do I agree with all the rules the NFL has for how football should be played? No. But if you're going to put the suit on, shoulder pads, helmet, jock strap, et cetera, and go play football, then you've agreed to those rules when you play that game. Really, really, really simple to understand. All right, moving along, because I've got a lot to cover here today. Um, next. I saw an interesting question on uh, Twitter. Somebody said, and there's people want to dig into the technicality of this, and, and you really shouldn't. We should just answer the question as asked, because it's hard for people to do. Well, technically, well, actually, like the question was, if somebody says to you, because Bitcoin's so private, I know it's not, but it can be. All right, so just let it go. And since the government can't really tax it, then how will we build the roads? Well, my first answer to that is fuck them. That's my anarcho answer. Like, if we can actually do that, then we should and great. But my other two answers to it were, well, then, you know, maybe if they have a hard time making people pay taxes, they'll have to get people to pay taxes. So they'll have to do a better job. And waste less money and piss away less money. So even though that doesn't move where I want to go, it goes in the right direction. So great. And then my third answer is, no matter what is being spent, 
because business owners want to protect what they have. And I, I can't tell you how many people that own brick, brick and mortar businesses and click and mortar businesses that have told me, well, I follow the law because I have too much to lose. We already have a system in place that does sales tax. So you could have a Bitcoin standard. You could have a crypto standard. People could use mixed Bitcoin. They could use R. They could use Monero. They could use privacy coins out the ass. You'll still have merchants that are going to charge sales tax, and there's already a system in place to do it. Then you'd have a sales tax. Am I okay with that? No, it's theft. I'm not okay with theft. But what it would do is it would remove a graduated income tax, okay, which is one of the planks of the Communist Manifesto. So that would be a net win. The other thing it would do is it would remove wealth, privilege, anti-tax. There's so many people. I should say so many companies that make billions of dollars and effectively pay no tax. Now, I'm for this if you can do it. If it's a system everybody can work, then fine. But it's also used against us. Well, if transactions were taxed as a percentage of the transaction during the trade, it would be an apportion tax, which I'm back to the rule book. Not what I want, what the rule book says. That would be an apportioned tax meaning it's the same for everybody involved. That would be legal under our system of governance that we're supposed to have that we don't. We're an unapportioned tax, meaning that it's not equally distributed, is not within the constitutional authority of our government, even though we've had a tax that says, you know, that's what it is. And then, you know, I'll add to it, you know, legal for, I'm sorry, uh, punishable by fine means legal for a fee, and you do what you want to with that. But I just thought it was an interesting question, like, And this is the bigger thing that I see for crypto, Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is the winner. You can keep chanting like Roger Ver or Peter Schiff for gold or whatever you want to do. Bitcoin won. It's over. But it's crashing. Okay. You know, I'm not some noob. I'm not some pleb. I've been around since 2013, 2014. I've seen this before. I'm not worried about it. I know what comes next. And everybody else is down to, right? It's over. If you were going to buy a search engine stock in 1999 or 2003 or whenever it came out, you wanted it to be Google, everybody else lost. And it was very quick that we knew they won. Didn't say they're the best. Right? We just knew who won, who controlled the market, who was going to control the market. There was only one place you really wanted your money. That's Bitcoin. Now, so Bitcoin, the biggest property of Bitcoin is, yeah, I have it. Take it. You can't. Tough shit. We'll freeze this and you can do whatever you want, but you can't have this. We'll regulate the on-ramps. People take it directly. Go away. I don't care. It's the first time in the history of the world that you've had truly 100% equally defensive property. If you have an IQ over 85 and you will spend a day learning how, you can be a little old lady in a wheelchair or a big, strong CrossFit type soldier 19 with 100 guns, and you can equally defend your Bitcoin. Any other crypto, by the way, most other crypto, no, many other cryptos. By the way, a shitload of cryptos you guys think are decentralized or not. If a small number of people can change a thing, it's not decentralized. If a small number of people can stop transactions off of an address, it's not decentralized. It's also probably a security under law, but we're not going to go into that today. But I actually think, see, this is the, this is the real power. Of Bitcoin and crypto. I saw somebody else on uh, Twitter this weekend. We need a law that says it's legal to self-custody Bitcoin. 
Go away. Don't bother me. I don't care. First of all, it's already legal. Second of all, I don't give two shits if it is or not. Prevent me. Because here's a quote for you guys that like to quote me. Sovereignty is not given, it is taken. I can already self-custody my crypto. Go away. I don't care about you. By the way, I, I can technically self-custody my Ethereum, but I really can't. Trust me, if the Ethereum Foundation knows the address that I have, which is really an account, they can lock up my Ethereum. Ethereum's not decentralized. And anything built on Ethereum is not decentralized. Everything can be, most other cryptos can be shut down. To be fair to Sal, who's still here heckling and whatever, um, I don't think you could do it to Bitcoin Cash. As a fork of Bitcoin, the way that it's run, mined coin, etc., I don't think you could do it. The other shit forks, Satoshi Vision, etc., couldn't do that either. I don't think you could do it to Monero, but I'm not sure. A lot of people that speak on behalf of Monero legitimately, right, etc., like, and Sal says Strike can do the same thing. I don't care. Strike is a tool for buying crypto. As soon as I buy it, I transfer it. I'll do that for you one day, Sal, right? No one said anything about holding your Bitcoin on exchange. Strike is an exchange, right? So that's the whole point, though, that by having a property government cannot seize, you force them to negotiate. And sovereignty is not given. It is taken. You do what you want with that. Uh, next, there is a new documentary out, and you should totally watch it, even though it's totally partisan, because it's mostly accurate. It's called 2,000 Mules. And it's a good example of another reason that I'm an anarchist. Right? It really is. So it's by Dinesh D'Souza, who's clearly all the way in the tank for the right politically and believes that if we just put Trump back in power, everything. I, I get that. That's ad hominem. It doesn't pertain to what I'm about to tell you. If you've ever doubted whether there was fraud in the 2020 election, if you watch this movie and you have an IQ over 85 and you're not completely wrapped up in the other side of the dichotomy, you will have zero doubt. If it was a court of law and you were a sworn juror willing to uphold a ruling and it was presented to you as evidence that there were fraud and your thing was fraud, guilty, no fraud, not guilty, you would come down guilty. Whether or not it would have affected the the race and actually given the, the, the race to Trump, I don't know. They make a pretty compelling case that it would have. Um, if you believe that cell phones can be tracked accurately, then they make a great case that it would have. And it's only a small fraction of what probably happened. But I'll give you the essence of it, and there'll be a link in the show notes where you can go watch it. Dinesh was selling it for 29 bucks. A guy produces a movie. I'll pay for it. But it's like, as I figured, by the end of the first weekend, it's everywhere for free. So I threw up a copy on my Odyssey channel. You can go watch it there if you want to. If you want to pay him for it like I did, go ahead and pay him for it. Um, but you will see people pull up to a Dropbox with a stack of ballots and take pictures of them with their phone as they're putting them in the box. You will see tracing data that shows the person went to a nonprofit Democrat, you know, get out the vote bullshit thing, and then went to a drop Dropbox and another Dropbox and another Dropbox and then went back to another kind of, you know, um, nonprofit fusion center, picked up more shit and then went to multiple Dropboxes. 
You will see security camera footage because it was all released under like the state level of FOIA. And there's millions of minutes of video of this shit going on with here's the person that we think they don't know the person's name, but they bought all the tracking data from advertising companies. Think about that with your phones, guys. And this data is publicly available. You can buy it. And then you can't see that this is Tom's phone, but you can see this phone did all this shit. With this phone, you can identify patterns. And they show this happening. And then they pull up the video footage from the time it says the guy was there. And there's a guy stuffing ballots into a box. Some in the middle of daylight, some at 345 in the morning. Place to place to place. This is another interesting thing. So... This all happens in the 2020 election with Trump and all that shit. But none of the video footage shows any of the people wearing surgical gloves. None of it. Then we have that Georgia runoff election. And the videos in Georgia during the runoff election, all the people are wearing surgical gloves. Why? Because some clown that they actually prosecuted in Arizona one of the convicting pieces of evidence they had was his fingerprints on all the ballots he said he didn't touch. So the word got out and they put their little gloves on. Maybe they were afraid of COVIDs. You know, we had a surge in January going on, 2021. Uh, well, here's an interesting thing. So you see the video. Here comes the tool, puts all the ballots in, taking pictures of them, because that's apparently how they get paid. Then they get all their ballots and they put the phone away, take their gloves off and throw them in the garbage and go on about their business to their next, you know, place to drop ballots. Because those gloves are make you sweat and they're kind of uncomfortable even in January, I guess. So I don't think they were too worried about their COVIDs. So my belief here is that the right is getting the wrong message from this. We're going to reinstall my orange man. We're going to decertify the election. That ship has sailed. That's not going to happen. We're about to have another election. Again, anarchist hat off, referee stripes on. These are federal felonies. These are serious federal felonies. The integrity of our elections has always been shit, but now it's below shit. It's the, it's the maggot shit under the shit. That's where the integrity of elections in the United States is. These people need to go to prison. You're not going to decertify the election. It's not going to happen. You're not going to overturn a race. It has happened, by the way. That's in the movie, too. There have been races overturned for this, where people are actually caught. But right now, if I'm the Democrats, I'm incredibly emboldened. And this movie actually makes me more so. Because the average person is not going to pay any attention. The Republicans are chicken shit and won't do anything with it. And they got away with it. So they're going to do it again. Now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be people on the right that won't stand for it. They're going to set up guards and shit like that around these drop boxes, and they're going to be made the villains because the media will play right into this. Reason number 937.5 that I'm an anarchist, because your system's broken, it doesn't work, and you're not going to fix it. We need a new system, and we need a system that's based on individual sovereignty and saying no. No, I'm not going to comply with what you want me to do. That gets their attention. The day that there's an election and 5% of the people show up to vote, it's over. That's the vote that will really matter in the end. Until then, vote or don't vote. I don't care. It won't change the price of tea in China or 1% of your freedom. You watch.
prediction. Karnak. Remember Johnny Carson with Karnak in the envelope, right? Karnak the Magnificent without the uh, turban reincarnated here as Jack Spirico. In 2022, in the midterm elections, even with cheating, and there will be lots of cheating, the Democrats are going to get it shoved up their ass hard. They're going to lose hard. They are going, I mean, they are going to get it hard. It is their turn in the barrel and there's razor penises going in the barrel. That's how bad it's going to be. Your life won't change. Your life won't get better. You may rah, rah and cheer a few things, but it won't. And when it, when it doesn't happen and I point out that it didn't happen, you'll say, But that's because we have Brandon in the White House. And when we get the White House back in 2024, it's all going to be super duper. And if you don't starve to death by then, we'll eventually get to 2024. And you're probably right. And we probably will have a Republican president and at least a, a modicum of control of both houses by 2024. Because shit ain't going to get better and people throw the guy in charge or the party in charge out when things are bad, no matter which side it is. And then your life won't change again. And then we'll hear how 2026 is dun, 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 the most important election of our lifetime. And I'll still say I don't give a shit. And I'll still be out building my gardens, running my crypto nodes, doing my shit, going along and not asking for permission, just seizing it. Okay? I'm not even asking. People say it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. I'm not asking for forgiveness either. Forgiveness is, is, is something you seek when you've done something wrong. Living my life on my terms and harming no one else is nothing I will ever ask for forgiveness for. Uh, next up, somebody said just a little post, probably a, a comment post. It said, right wing communes when? Question mark. Uh, and I responded, we already have them. They're made up mostly of fans. We call them homesteads and I highly recommend getting one. And I think that's a lesson for the right, the libertarian, the anarchist. We have this idea, this intentional community idea. And if you can pull it off, God bless you. Go ahead. But most of what we espouse is around the rights of personal property. Okay, personal property. I, I, I'm beginning to like that term a lot better than private property. And Mary, thank you for the, the uh, $49.99 super chat. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for sharing gardening info and following me on Twitter. Yeah, I'm glad I am. We're going to talk about Twitter in a, in a minute here since so much of this show today came from Twitter. Again, Mary, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, but this idea that we're going to put everybody together collectively in a group of people who so value their personal property doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think what Nicole Sauce is doing in Tennessee makes a lot of sense to me. Community has its boundaries. So Nicole has her three acres and her neighbor has their five acres. And the guy down the street has an acre and a half. And, you know, there's 50 acres across the street somebody owns. And everybody kind of works together. Gee, just kind of like, you know, natural community. And, and the interesting thing is that the people that most want communism have nothing to share. Have you ever noticed that? The people that most want communism have nothing to share, either because they have nothing Or they have everything and they know they're not going to be one of the people to share. Because if you don't think there's elites in communism, you're no student of history. I, I challenge you to look up something like Armin Hammer, okay, in the Soviet Union, during the Soviet Union when it was all communist and, and see how that worked out. And where do you think all those oligarchs came from after the fall of the Soviet Union? Do you think they learned how to be elite 
you know, in the first six months after the fall? Or do you think they just kind of changed their entity form a little bit and realized with chaos comes the ability to get away with a lot more shit? So if we're going to actually build community on our side, then what we're going to have to do is respect the property of individuals and the individuality of individuals. And that does not make a commune or a collective. It does make a community. Just a thought on that. Um, next, real quick, I have a link for this. and You can read it yourself. But there's a dude on Twitter, can't remember his name, and he just wrote a, like a nine-part because Twitter limits how much you can write, like nine follow-ups to his original post on why to get your crypto, specifically your Bitcoin, because this guy seems like a Bitcoin maxi, off the exchanges. And his rules are, hey, look, if you don't think you can print more Bitcoin or any crypto, you don't understand how exchanges work. And so when you go to Coinbase, I want you to think about this. You go to Coinbase and you buy $200 worth of Bitcoin on Sunday. And then it's almost immediately available for you to transfer. So you buy it, there it is, I don't want it on Coinbase, send them wallet. It can go there. Now, Bitcoin's way faster than people think it is, okay? Way faster than people think it is. And it's way cheaper than people think it is, especially with SegWit. Um, but there is a clear time. And you can take your Bitcoin off of Coinbase before that clearance time. Why? Well, they hold a lot of Bitcoin. But they don't hold enough for everybody at all at one time, all the time. Even if they're doing like mass transactions where they're bringing in and out, there's a certain amount of Bitcoin or Algorand or any crypto on any exchange that's liquidity in the form of paper, even though it's not in paper, it's in digital, meaning that you and somebody else have claim to it at the same time. And what they're betting on is there won't be a bank run. Everybody won't take their shit off at the same time. This is why... When I buy Bitcoin or anything else, but mostly Bitcoin, when I buy it, the second is available for withdrawal, which often is instantly. I withdraw it. I'm going to buy, just for Sal here, I guess, I'm going to buy $50 worth of Bitcoin right now. And I'm going to try to do it and keep talking so that I don't make this go longer than once. I'm going to use Strike. Now, I had problems with Strike Sunday, so hopefully I won't hear. But I'm going to deposit $50. Bucks, deposit. Confirm. As long as this goes through, I don't have this problem. I'll go ahead and continue this for you. Uh, it wants my credit card three number thing. Submit. And as long as this deposit goes through, we'll keep on with this. If it doesn't, I'll do it later. Ah, there it went. I don't know what was. Maybe too many people were buying the dip. So now I have 50 bucks in here, and I'm going to buy Bitcoin with it. I'm going to go buy all confirm spinny thing. Check mark. Jack Spirico just bought $50 worth of Bitcoin. Check. Okay, I'm going to go to my Exodus wallet, enter my pass code. Okay, I'm going to go back because I'm still here where I sent Jake money. I'm going to go into Bitcoin, get a receive address. I copied it. I'm going to go back into strike. I'm going to go send, paste, max, confirm. Done. It's on the way to my wallet that fast. I just bought, I just deposited 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Okay? Just deposited, or $50 worth of dollars. Converted it to Bitcoin and withdrew it from Strike. It will be in my wallet. I'll leave it open. Let me get that open. And I'll, I'll, if I hear it ping, I'll tell you when it posts. 
It'll definitely post before we're done. So I'm going to go back there and we'll leave it there and we'll see when it posts. It'll post within five minutes and then it'll take about eight minutes to clear. All right. Well, that has to happen on the other side. So where does Strike get the $50 worth of Bitcoin? Well, they do have a reserve, but I guarantee you if every single user of Strike or Coinbase or any exchange all tried to withdraw their Bitcoin at the same time, there'd be a shortfall. There'd be a shortfall. And what he's saying, the dude on Twitter, and it's it's really a great post, and he's right, this suppresses the price of Bitcoin. If If the average person, as soon as they bought their Bitcoin, removed it from the exchange and didn't contribute to liquidity by holding it where you don't own it, it's somebody else's, the price of Bitcoin would be higher. It would still have retracted, but it wouldn't have retracted as much, and it would have went higher at its all-time high. Because effectively, you're, you are screwing up the control and the check on inflation by allowing the banks, exchanges, to print Bitcoin in the form of paper, i.e. digital paper, IOUs. So don't do that. And don't tell me it's hard. I just showed you how easy it is. I did it with a mobile app. And buy it. I got to buy it. 30,836. That's cool. So it dipped. So I bought some more. Not here yet. I'll tell you when it's here. But please, please stop doing this. Please stop holding on Coinbase or anywhere. Right? What site do you purchase the original Bitcoin with? There's no original Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin or there's not Bitcoin. You can buy it on any exchange that will let you buy it. I primarily use, if I'm going to do what I just did, fiat into Bitcoin, Coinbase and Strike, because it works, it's fast, it's simple, and it's cheap. That's why I do it. Yesterday, I tried to use Strike to buy $200 worth of Bitcoin, because I buy me some dip, and uh, for some reason that deposit wouldn't go. I don't know what was going on, but something was screwed up. So I went to Coinbase, I bought $200 worth of Bitcoin, and there was like 15 bucks in there from referrals. So I had $215. I withdrew it immediately to my wallet. When it hit my wallet, the entire transaction fee from the Bitcoin network was something like seven cents. Don't tell me it's expensive and it took 10 minutes. Like this is it. Like don't make this hard. In fact, I want to know. I have a banner set up for this. If you don't own Bitcoin yet, for those of you in the chat with me, why not? Do you say, you answer, I don't believe it's going to make it. It's not worth it. You know, uh, I'm not sure how to buy and hold it. Or I feel like I'm too broke to buy it. Because I've had people tell me, oh, I can't afford $30,000. Well, somebody said you had to buy a whole Bitcoin. I just bought 50 bucks. I could have bought five if I wanted to. Right? You could buy any amount you want. And, and you know, to Sal's little heckling again, you know, strike could shut you down your account. Of course they can. That's why, how much would they get if they shut me down right now? Zero. The transaction's already initiated. The maximum risk that I take is any individual buy. I, I'm, a, I'm a dollar cost average buyer. Even if I'm going to buy a thousand dollars this week, I'm going to buy it in hundred dollar or fifty dollar transactions, and I'm immediately going to transfer. There's nothing that they can do. I'm sorry, it's it's over, guys. It's already mine. It's already gone. It's out there in the chain. It's inevitable. It's just posted, by the way. So it's already posted. I don't know how long that was, but it's posted. Now I don't have to wait for the, the, the transactions to clear, but I'm going to tell you something else. This whole, you know, you need three confirmations, five, whatever number of confirmations people think you need. Well, before you can spend it, yes. But if somebody buys something for, from you in Bitcoin, and as soon as you see it go ding, I have never had a transaction not complete once it shows up. Because it's 100% reliable. It's always going to work. 
anyway, uh, we have somebody saying, I don't trust digital currency. I feel better with tangible assets. So here's my point then, Wink. I can take away your tangible assets. I can tax your tangible assets. I can, I can throw you off your tangible asset and real property, right? Uh, next guy says, I don't own it and you don't want to hear this, but until you can pay taxes with it, I'm not sold. Okay. So you can pay taxes with Bitcoin. You can already pay your taxes in Bitcoin. They will totally take your Bitcoin. That's, that's years ago. See, this is a, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who, you know, they have these belief systems that are predicated on absolute falsehood. So that's a perfect one there. I don't want to hear it. I actually love hearing that. Thank you for telling me that, LW. Thank you. I had no idea that there was anybody out there that thought, well, I don't I, I, I don't want to hold it because I can't pay taxes in it. You can pay taxes in it. You can donate to political. If you're stupid enough, you can donate to political candidates with it. They made that legal back in like 2015. It's interesting. It's interesting. I'm surprised I don't have more people saying I don't know how. Of course, this is an educated audience. And like I said, you'll get part two tomorrow. I won't give you the T-SPAS item of the day today because I actually did a segment on that that ends the show. Uh, I will tell you that it is solar ray, uh, zinc, and copper amino acid chelates. So you can check that out on the, on the site if you want. You can wait for tomorrow where I talk about all the updates and my recommendations for supplements and things like that. Just remember, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, I will sign off. And uh, if you're an audio-only folk, you can uh, get part two tomorrow. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow The revolution Yeah.